is 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade, a retrospective podcast. Brought to you by UtilityMuffinLabs.com. Welcome to the Dark Ages. Welcome to another episode of 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade. My name is Nathan. And I'm Bob. And uh, today we're coming to you live from seclusion in the West Wing. Uh, neither of us can really leave the house, so... Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, the West Wing at the Nico, I might add. That's yeah. what I've decided. That's where we're at. Yeah, so today um, we are... Actually, it hasn't really affected our ability to record at all, because we've always recorded in different locations since, like, the last two years. So Since 1915. Mm-hmm. 1915, 1916, maybe maybe early to mid-1917, I think. Uh, back on old-time radio. Um, old-time radio? Old-timey radio. So anyways, <laughs> today <laughs> today we're going to be reviewing The Dark Ages Storyteller's Companion, the first book released after The Dark Ages core book. Um, and we'll get into that in a few minutes. Um, but first, we're going to do the standard. We're going to thank some people. Um, that have uh, deemed it worthy to support us with their monetary funds and, uh, and et cetera, and get into a We're question. We're not worthy. We're not worthy. So this one is fun. I don't know what it means, but I'm sure it has special meaning to someone. First of all, I'd like to thank Got It Bro Bro Wilson for <laughs> supporting us. <laughs> that That is the new fave. <laughs> that is uh, awesome yeah i don't i'm like mm, i that's probably an inside joke i don't get but that's okay <laughs> uh, hey, bro bro wilson is immortal got it bro bro wilson you say the whole thing it's like a pimp it. slick back <laughs> <laughs> got it bro bro wilson all right <laughs> all right uh next uh kessler and finally ken p lewis thank you folks for supporting us now's a real difficult time all around so um, the fact that people are still willing to back us on Patreon and support us is pretty awesome. Um, but I want to get into a question from one of our backers that's pertinent to our situation currently. Uh, and this is from Ben. Ben is one of our Patreon backers, and he says, Hey guys, with the current climate, I'm having to switch my game uh, from a twice-a-week event to online. So with that being the case, I would like to hear how you guys run your online games. The pros, cons, things that you've discovered uh, that help the experience. What programs do you use? Thanks and stay safe. So, well, we use we use the internet, and uh, <laughs> I like to recommend uh, Discord. Really, there's a couple out there. Uh, Discord's our top fave. Um, the rest of them, I don't even bother because you know this is being recorded, and I'd rather Discord get credit than anything. And uh, they've been they've been at it for specifically gamers and gaming for a long time. So uh, that's what I recommend. It can handle high capacity. Um, you do video calls, chats, what have you. Um, we've, we ourselves did five-way video calling for, you know, telegaming, as, mm-hmm. as you could call it, and uh, worked just fine. What a problem with it. Um, I mean, more than you expect. You know, you expect there to be occasional little it's lagging a little there. bit, blah, blah, blah. But ultimately, that, that's what you can do. Screen sharing is now possible on here, too. So for a storyteller who is, you know, takes a lot of notes and whatnot, wants to, see exact, wants to show exactly what they got going on, you could do just that without any question as to what they're seeing. And that's that's huge. Um, software uh, containment, documentation, re- excuse me, documentation retainment is a must if you're going to do an online game. And to that end, I can't help but recommend that you endorse Mr. Gone 
mm-hmm. uh, for his character sheets. That'll go a long way for you. Number one, Patreon. Um, number two, um, I we use OneNote. Microsoft's Office Suite is fantastic. Office three sixty five exactly. Um, that'll that, that helps us in damn near everything yeah. we got to do, whether business or at play here. So uh, makes it real simple, synced with the cloud, so that works. Um, beyond that. Really, it's all you need for a game. The rest is your imagination and content and how you want to kick it out to people. Did yeah. I miss anything? Um, I mean, no, not really. I know that there are other programs out there that people use, but they're not programs we've ever ex- had any experience with. Like, uh, I, um, I know there's a, there's, there's a platform on um, Drive-Thru RPG that people use for like D&D and stuff like that, but... I mean, we've never used them. We've just used Discord basically since, I think, 2017, um, almost three years now. And uh, Discord has met every need. There's a ton of different... Like, are there any dice rolling apps you you could suggest? Um, yeah, so many, I'm not gonna. Um, for <laughs> in fact, that we have... Uh, we're blessed because we have, uh, you know, patrons that uh, are actual programmers. So one of our patrons designed the die roller we specifically use, and uh, that's supported, and so we're awesome in that. Yeah. And uh, that's that's cool. But beyond that, we did see a whole bunch of them for any type of type of die rolling you wanted to use. Yeah. Everything from a V5 specific die roller to D20 type system for D&D and beyond. Yeah, and I, I would good. I would suggest if you're going to run a game on Discord, um, unless you schedule specific events where people can type out stuff that they're going to type. My suggestion would be run your game using voice or video um, because while it's awesome that people can get creative and descriptive and type out stuff, I I've found in my experience that people tend to be distracted with other things and kind of like come and go. The, they treat it more like a relay game as opposed to a game that they're like super involved and um, present for. And so being in voice, I think, is a great, uh, great idea. However, you as a storyteller will find quickly that you do have to maybe at times call upon people to respond to you just because they're not there to see your face. That could be a hump that you need to get over. But I think once you accomplish that should be very quickly voice or video, if you can do it is your best route. I can't agree more. It'll save you time as well. The other factor is not to make this all on just discord and and online gaming is your dedication to your product. What I mean by that is you're not gonna be able to phone it in anymore. That's the one thing I'm going to warn you. I think role-playing inspires many storytellers to get lazy. And only, you know, when you want to run a game, you tell everybody what's about, what's going to be, discuss the theme and the stories you're going to do. And you only ever do that effort. And the rest of it is relying on your players to do something and reacting to it. The whole time promising, I take all these notes. I do all this stuff. No, you don't. And your players will note it too when they start getting bored. And they don't know why they're bored, but you could see the look. Eyes glaze over. Long yeah. time waiting, you know, just disinterest. Suddenly, they can't make the time agreed upon. Be prepared for all that running a game is. Most companies are going to tell you, it's super fun and exciting. Nobody ever gets bored. These games are amazing. <laughs> all the... No, it's bullshit. Your people. Stressors, um, de-stressors. There's people who... Vacations, birthdays, all that stuff is going to come up at random moments. And you got to be able to say, hey, it's cool. And set that precedent. Whether you're here or not, we're going to have this game. You know, I'm only say this because most people ask us this question, plan on running a game of four people, four to five tops. Great. Do it. Have fun. But if you only have three people, I don't feel you should cancel three people's fun that showed up to your game. Right. But I often hear that's the death of it. Right. So just be prepared for it, for that circumstance. And note, unlike face to face, 
if only one person shows up and it's phoned in, there's a you could do a one person game. Right. And it's and it doesn't feel like you're putting anybody out. There's no hassle left to go anywhere or what have you. They just dedicate that time with you to see stuff done and go on, and you have a ton of fun with just one person for it if you wanted to. Yeah. But also be prepared for the opposite of that, which is a crap ton of people, you know, especially if you're if you're going from a LARP to a tabletop game and you do get fifteen or sixteen people to show up, you will have to learn how to sort of wrangle people in a way that you didn't have to in LARP. Because Really doing the game online is very much like a tabletop game, but elevated. It's it's more so because everyone's sitting there with their headset on waiting for activity. So I think what Bob was saying pretty much to sum it up is you have to be a proactive storyteller. You can't be a reactive storyteller. You have to learn how to wrangle these people in a new environment. And that'll be a little intimidating, but it's not impossible. It's It's definitely something you can do. We do it. I do it damn near hourly. I mean, you it's completely right. doable. Right. All right. Well, hopefully that answered uh, some of your question and, um, you know, gave you some resources to utilize. Um, let's get into the book, shall we, Bob? Absolutely. So what is this book even? Dark Ages Storyteller Companion. It's basically, in a nutshell, all the stuff we couldn't include in the base book. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's why we call it a companion. I really feel that is why it's called a companion. And this book uh, engrosses us a few minor roads, which aren't minor to those of you used to the modern system. It's just in this time, it is quite modern. That's right. or uh, quite, uh, they're minor. They're not brought out. They're not frequently used more than the others. And right. the focus is different. And it gives that different feel, right? I've, uh, I think we mentioned it briefly, but in the dark ages to modern, uh, the key, the core of them is nor- you're immortal. So if everyone's playing an immortal, how do I make the modern feel different than the Dark Ages? Well, time and period pieces, right? Right. They go so far as to be the philosophies change too. And that's why roads are roads, not paths, and paths are different. This takes that into account. But you can't include the minor roads when the book was so robust already. Right. And then hope to gain that track. There's a lot in it. So they do that. They also include a couple bloodlines in here to wet your whistle and to give them the attention they need. You right. know, you don't want to cram them into three pages if you need about six or seven and that's that's the point of the whole book right just to give you kind of an update from um where the original vampire uh the dark ages um sort of started and then where it ended up with dark ages vampire um we do we do have uh some bloodlines in here and the way that they're presented is interesting um you know the fact that they're they're introduced sort of as storyteller antagonists and not necessarily for PCs. Like they give you everything that you would need in here to play these, these character or these bloodlines rather as PC characters, but that's not really how they're presented. They're presented with, you know, how they work and how they function as antagonists with like, how could you play them as a player character? Um, Of course we have the Bali and the gargoyles, which the gargoyles at this time uh, for those of you that aren't aware, aren't really a clan or a, they are a bloodline, but um, they're not really embraced so much as they are created. And so they're not really at this point designed to be played as player characters. Um, we have the Libon, uh, which I thought was an interesting addition uh, to this, uh, the Lamia and then the Leonin. Um, what, uh, what, what are your opinions on the Leonin, Bob? Well, to tell you the Leonin in and of themselves, they're rather uh, interesting. They 
here they take a spin where I don't, I don't necessarily. Well, here's the thing: it's in the book that you, we know what they are. Right. They say a great tree spirit um, possessed uh, the vampire that got made, and the spirit was all powerful and bloodthirsty, and that's what it did. And that every time they embrace, it f- takes a branch off and it lessens the power of the spirit itself, so on and so forth. Yeah, it, the problem with this is this: this again reeks and racism as I'm going to call call it right now, <laughs> uh, because Anne Rice's whole theory in their, her vampiric kind stems from that simple fact. There's only one, but every time they make more, it lessens her and blah, 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 blah. And that's, that's the same thing. But let's, but let's flip it back to what they should focus on, which I hope you do whenever you see the Leonin. And by the way, they do fix them in 20, right? They do re-release them so you can see them with a more solid, understandable uh, backstory. But here we're still in crazy town. And what I want to point out is they're Celts, mm-hmm. right? right? They're the barbarians of yore. They got fae, they got the forest, they got druidic magic. And they like crammed, combined them into one thing and said, hey, we're about trees. Here's, here's the problem <laughs> right. with that. right? The one problem you have with that, if you're a storyteller, when you look at this is go, what? <laughs> Even the person they show you looks like a crazed fae tree person. Right. Not, not a vampire. Right. It's, it's honestly my least favorite picture in the book. <laughs> right. It's like, what, what is? what am I looking at? But the point is, is that when you look at this concept and how a storyteller might use the Leonin, they're fantastic for something being territorial and other in the woods than a gangrel or a mm-hmm. feral Nosferatu or, or another pack of werewolves. They give you something to focus on. But they also, it runs roughshod right into a problem I have. The number beyond that, I, I think I say number one a lot. I have a lot of number ones, but it's <laughs> when you, when you look at what the source of the codonic sorcery is, right? We're mm-hmm. talking about Kapala. Right. How the hell is the tree? Wait a second. Someone gets embraced in the wilds somewhere. And if there's a demon like Kapala running around, where's the consistency? Yeah. If the Zemish just live in the land and somehow caught Kapala virus, you know, the, <laughs> the vampiric COVID-19, right. how, how is it they got it? But this person was embraced. And the tree spirit embodied them, and it stayed. Why? Because weirdly, the tree spirit in them must only grow under moonlight. That's <laughs> that's where it feeds. I don't know. I don't know. So for me, that's the inconsistency riffing aside. Yeah. It's hard to digest it. That was that's always kind of been uh, um, one of my issues with vampire as a whole in regards to how they interact with the spirit world around them. Right? Because we know every other game. They come right out and say like, hey, this is an umbral spirit or hey, this is a demon. And vampires kind of like, we don't know shit, but yet we've been studying it for 10,000 years, but we don't know what it is. Right. We, we have, it's a, it's a tree spirit. It's a ground spirit. I don't know. It's no, it's a demon. And what is this? It takes a mage to understand <laughs> what something really is and is not. And if you can't grasp that, yeah, mages aren't immortal. They're humans with, but. Whatever. And, and we'll stuff that aside. This is called the hand-waving moment where we're like, okay, I guess they're cooler. Right. We'll just leave that over here. Yeah, but yeah. when you combine to someone who with magic supremacy that blood sorcery gives and necromancy and all this knowledge and lore, it's not that they can't be good at it. It's they tell you what to focus on. It's that vampires don't care about it. Right? right. It's like, yeah, over there is a demon. Who cares? Move on. Right. And right, Are you demons bad? I, I su- I've been sucking your family's blood for years. Right. I've enslaved this whole town. You de- The demon's the problem, though. Yeah, let's worry about him. Good job. But it's a weird segue point to make. But, the, <laughs> but, I'm, just, but I'm just saying that's where it is. So what, what do we have next before I get into Crazyville again? Mm. 
Well, next we have the Salubri. And so uh, the Salubri and the Bali already have clan books. I don't really feel like there's anything in here in this book about them that you can't find in those. However, like we know, this is going off of the assumption that you haven't necessarily bought the previous material. You certainly could. Right. Um, you know, they, they talk about um, in a lot of these books that are coming up, they will reference older books because, you know, with Dark Ages, it's a little bit different, right? Like the rules might change, but really the history doesn't because this is what we're doing. We're telling the history. Um, but yeah, it's the Salubri. It's, uh, they're on the run from the Tremere, and they give you examples on how to use them in-game uh, as a storyteller and also how they could be uh, entertaining to play for players. Um, but I really like that specific part of it, how they tell you, like, most of these are not meant for players to be played. You could in very special circumstances, but here's the warnings. To me, this book, in a lot of ways, is like, Here's the game on hard mode. How would you play, you know, here's advanced player. You know, that that's, I just like that. I, I don't think they like the term, I could have swore I heard somewhere, and it may have been, I don't want to misquote people, but uh, someone we interviewed, I'm almost positive, said this. And, that, and that's they hate calling something a storyteller companion book right. or a storyteller only book. And they did it to help story, they did a book to help storytellers and people immediately complained it was all about help, helping run a story. Mm-hmm. And it was like, well, what was the name of the book? Right. Like, where's the crunch in the other books? Then what's right. in here? How to run a story, right? Right. Duh. Well, that went over like a hot flop in the wind, right? right. So it was like, we'll just do, from now on, it's just, everything's included. Right. You, you could do whatever with what we offer is what they really were trying to say. But we got to remember, in our society, our gaming culture here, the only thing that players care about is stuff that they can play. Right. And stuff that they can portray. And if it's new, they're going to want to use it a lot. Yeah, for and, sure. And get a feel for it. And so be prepared for that. So when you see this stuff in companions like this and things like that, they are not a half to play, but a smart storyteller, a savvy one's going to go, I need to concede. I need, I need to concede at some point. Right. And let someone in my troop play out of this book. Right. Cause it, right. it opens the door to say others might get to, but first, and it's okay to do this, start small. Right. Right. Make it an NPC and see how that goes over. You use what's in the book first. And see how that works before you move on. And this book is telling you that without telling you that. Yeah, of course. Of course it is. Um, you know, because like Bob said, kind of to his point, if it were just meant for storytellers, um, there would be no, there would be no like actual statistics. There would be no rules in this book. And there are uh, a lot of them. In fact, um, moving on to the next section, indeed, uh, we get some of the minor roads that Bob was talking about earlier. Um, the first one being the Road of Blood. The Road of Blood's interesting in here. It's uh, one I don't... Uh, my personal philosophy in the Road of Blood, it belongs in one clan. Right. And and it's okay. It needs to stay there. You know, that's that's just how I feel about the Road of the Serpent, or the Tempters, as they're called in here, too. Belongs in one clan. Needs to stay there. Why? Well, they fundamentally are based in the teachings of Hakim on one. The other one's fundamentally based in the teachings of Set. Therefore, what the hell is anybody else doing on this philosophy or road? Right. right. And, or, well, or the road of metamorphosis. So that's another good example. Correct. correct. Well, here's the difference. Those two, like you've pointed out before, they're based on fanatics. Right. Fanatics don't need to recruit anybody <laughs> right. because right. they're coming from within the clan, right? The clan will produce who you have. Right. That's what fanatics do. We're extremists. We're traditionalists. That's, that's the way it goes. However... At this point, you could tell someone was like, well, what if I want to play a Bruja on, on Road of Blood? 
and I believe it. And they add in here, it's just a shitty excuse to be a Diabras. <laughs> and everyone <laughs> and everyone on this road is looking for you to see you do it so they can judge you. Right. So a sentinel can come along and call you. And the fact is, it's very true. Right? Anybody who tells you they're looking for Road of Blood better have a deep-seated history and lore as to why... Why aren't you playing a child of Hakim? Right. Right, if you want to be on that road so bad. Same thing about the Tempters, right? Yeah. It's not about being a seductress and a corrupter solely. You know, it's about the philosophies of that clan according to what's set laid out. Right. And if you're going to go that far, literally, if a storyteller is like, yeah, absolutely, I proved that concept, seriously think to yourself, why am I not part of that group then? Yeah, yeah, I, right? I agree with you, yeah. Where Metamorphosis gets involved is Metamorphosis deliberately challenges you to go, it's great, even Zemis. Like, I don't understand the popularity of Metamorphosis. I don't. When I read about it, it was like, this is where the psychonaut Zemis come from, why everyone plays Zemis is to be a freak, and every time it's to make 12 appendages, 18 dicks, and whatever <laughs> other nonsense you want to make, and ghoulish things, and knives, and all. I'm awesome, I'm a guy, I'm a girl, I'm a guy, girl, I'm a crab, I got pinchers on my mouse. Sure. <laughs> sure. Sounds great. And when you ask them, where did you get the idea of playing as Zemis? The road of metamorphosis. And I immediately go, uh-huh. Okay. All right. There's a whole clan. Right. There's a whole clan. Do you aware the Zemis was begotten because of what Dracula is? And that's why Dracula himself is Zemis? Why don't you do me a favor and watch any Dracula film and get to me where he turns into a 12-foot-tall hulking monstrosity with... With uh, nipple tendrils and and teeth up and down his legs like a crappy anime runs around the countryside and he and eats half the villagers in a setting just so he can wear a flesh coat <laughs> that he drags along for that's nowhere right. you're not going to find it nowhere because there's we're talking class and yeah. taste I, I do I do right? like the I do like the road I like the modern incarnation of it the path as well but um, I I get where you're coming from on that I think that uh, the Zemis are the one clan where. I feel like maybe they tried to do a little too much. Like they're too many things like they're, they're the evil Kings, you know, they're like kind of like a dark evil incarnation of the Ventru with utter dominance, but also uh, they're the flesh molder, skin crafter, giant monster bearing, you know, like they're all, here's, they're just too many things. Here's the thing. Metamorphosis sounds like something the young Zemis gets into, Right. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like all men. When you realize what your dingus is for, it becomes a focus for quite some time until you cool out, right? Right. Until you get tired of it, and that's how it is. Until you find that medium, you just want to play with the metamorphosis all the time, right? Yeah. But every Zemisi elder and sire is going to sit there and go, "He'll get it. It's coming." But one day he'll get it. Well, why? If you look at the clan precepts, it's to dehumanize you as fast as possible. They want you to use vicissitude. They want you to get used to horrifying yourself mm-hmm. and get immune to it as a rite of passage. But once it's done, it's time, little lordling, to grow up. Yeah. And in growing I, I, up, you I can must see learn. That. Yeah. So you can change yourself. You are not immutable. In fact, you, you are quite capable of change. But to purpose. Who are you? What do you represent? And that's when the, they, that, that's exactly what you get when you look at someone like Koban, who mm-hmm. definitely uses it, but his flavor is it's it's to what he is. Right. And no one can dispute that. Like anytime someone sees him, that's Koban. We get it, and bats it. It's going to happen. It's going to go raw. But then, if you look at someone else like uh, the voivode amongst voivodes, Vladimir mm-hmm. Rustovich, right? It's like the dark side of Dracula yeah. is what he is, right? Yeah. This is this is straight up a vampire when it comes from. And you compare the two, and so whoever wrote those, it might have been the same person. I didn't research it that far, but I sat there and said to myself, "This is all Zemis clan," and I get that, and I agree with you. Metamorphosis is good, but it's how it's portrayed and rolled out 
where I do the eye rolling. But to my original point, mm-hmm. in this book, it tells you you can get others involved, and that's a very metamorphosis role play thing to do. Right. Right. They should be uh, evangelists who are talking about change and don't don't be static in a time when philosophy and religion's falling apart. And what I mean by falling apart, it's very corrupted. Right. Mm-hmm. It's nothing like what do you believe in that you can't pay a coin for to to get all the blessings and care and forgiveness? They're like walking up and showing you what is your issue? Oh, I'm frail. I'm sick. My back hurts. What if I could teach you to fix your own back? Right. And that of others. What? Here's the embrace. Here's some this. Here's how you do it. Do you see how change is good? I change you from life to death. I now change you from frail to, to whatever strength you want. And then it opens doors, but we just open the door, right? Now, if you're a brouhaha or someone else who's uh like, you could get this, right? You see a Helene and they want to make a change. Mm-hmm. Here comes the evangelist metamorphosis. Right. You can see how that works, but they become a spiritual plague that way. Right. And to me, that's a great concept and an ideal for it. Right. No, absolutely. Uh, all right. Uh, moving along. Uh, well, so we get the road of night, which is an interesting uh, road. Um, we know where it kind of ends up in the modern time, um, but it's very, very much like um, it's a very unique kind of interesting perspective on it, um, on that sort of vampiric good versus evil uh, mentality. Um, it's what the road of night always is and always was. What it gets changed to in the modern is that I feel this book was made after the modern or this this road to highlight one thing that was that apparently a lot of people miss. Road of Night is not an excuse to be an evil bastard running around and injuring people. Right. And in the name of Satan, in the name of the Dark Lord, it's not what it's about. Right. It's about the concept that you are already damned. Right. You're already condemned to the pit. Your job is to punish the sinner, but also to give them chance for redemption, which you no longer have an opportunity for. Right. Right. But if you meet a sinner who's truly beyond saving, call them so they can sin no more. Yes. You're basically the caretakers. You're, it's hell on earth, and you're here to find the saint from the sinner. Right. And the sinners are the ones that are your playground. And it serves as an example. In other words, you become the boogeyman in the dark that makes it verifiable why everyone else should be in church on Sunday. <laughs> right. Right. Absolutely. Right. <laughs> and that's what the path of night has always has been. It's in the Sabbat, what they've always preached. It's what they've written about in their stories and novels and held to. It's just, for some reason they needed more definition. In other words, a player mindset. If I don't read the rules as mechanics in a book that says the do's and don'ts, right. Then I will argue the reason as to why I don't play. So it's like, okay, cool. Here it is in this book. Right. Uh, but but I, I actually really like the sort of revisionist history of it. Yeah, it's awesome because it does go. Oh, this is where it came from. This these are the foundations. This is this is how we arrived at this location. Um, uh, of course, we have the path of paradox. Uh, you know, that's a thing. Moving on, um, road of the serpent. Um, kind of already touched on. Um, so yeah, it, it has. Uh, all of those. And then we're moving right along into the disciplines. Um, I mean, they're, they're disciplines, you know, uh, they're I'm all the blood, right. All the bloodlines that are here, their disciplines are present. Um, the only thing that I really wanted to kind of like mention, which I thought was interesting are the thaumaturgical rituals, uh, used on the gargoyles and seeing where their discipline comes from. I thought that was very interesting. Well, it's it's not that shot. Well, it is interesting. I'm not taking away from it. What I'm saying is, is that a lot of people 
uh, in a modern believe that their discipline as it becomes with serotica is something that's just given. Right. Right. That it's something they, you know, hey, and that's the, nah, it's through use, repeated use. It falls with thaumaturgical principles that if you use it enough, the blood adapts. Right. Exactly. Right. That's, that's what they do. And I love it. But everyone who sees this is going to go, you know, I think I can make a powerful gargoyle out of this system the way it is in comparison to what I get in the modern. You're right. Yeah. To some degree, it depends on, you know, the leniency of the ST and what you build and whatnot. But there's some deep, heavy flaws with this, too. Oh, yeah, and for sure. First and foremost is the fact your very clan symbol is that of a dog. <laughs> right? To let you, to remind you of what you do and what you were made for. Right. And, and and it's weird. For me, there is a strange thing that people want to play gargoyles. Yeah. Right? And it's, it's they, I just, I just want to play gargoyles. But they always want to be, I'm not tied to any master. I'm a free, no. You're a gargoyle, be tied to someone, because that's, that's where the RP comes in. Right. Understand where it is. Role play through you becoming free for a reason. Because what if you have an awesome master? I mean, there's a chance for that, right? Right. And that's, I, I really feel that, because whenever you take it, whenever you hear that story where someone's like, no, nah, I'm a free slave in the dark, it, yeah, well, then we just miss on a huge part of you. Right. It, it, it's right? the story. Right. It's that component, the compelling component of the story, you'd hope. Um, it happens, but don't fall in that trap. Just uh, be cool with it. Um, the oh, before we 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 did move on, there's something I wanted to mention. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Because this book is back where the Lemia were cool, and uh, I just wanted to highlight it because here's here's the stance I took on it. Right, I've been doing a little research, and uh, there's some players who are like, "Oh man, guys are allowed in Lemia now," and I was completely disappointed in that. And uh, I'm going to underline why. It, it's deliberately a blood cult to Lilith. Right. Right, Lamia is allegedly the daughter of Lilith, right? Right. right, and and accordingly, dark, violent rites in homage to the Dark Mother. You see the theme of dark, and right. we we keep that up. And when she was killed, right, by a Cappadocia by Japheth, and was forced into embrace, uh, Lilith actually spoke to her, yeah, and told her important of things to come that terrified Lazarus, and he flees from the room, right? Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome, and. It actually adds justification as to why maybe the Giovanni end up just culling them. Right. Right? Because if, you, if you're the Giovanni and you heard these portents, and you're already on a roll, you just whacked an antediluvian. Right. It, it doesn't make sense to keep the Lamia around. No. And, and when they just kill them and, you know, you made the Lamia just like, well, it might have been a religious group of people who sat around and liked Lilith. <laughs> you know, you know, one night, one yeah. night, because then the story changes, right? Then it's one night Lazarus comes out in his study, and uh, one of the warrior women he hired to protect him from the woods. There was a it was a Celt or a barbarian or a Hun or whatever. They're they're out in there minding their business, and they decided, hey, I could read now. Thank you, Jpeth. And they were reading this book of the Dark Mother, and they wanted rights. Mm-hmm. You know, they wanted they wanted some leeway, and he was like, I can't have you growing anywhere. So we're just going to embrace you and deal with it and move on. It just gets, it loses something. So so you're talking like in a more modern incarnation, that's how they kind of whitewash the story? Yeah, because they're like, you can bring, well, first off, we'll get to V20's magical resurrection of things that are dead. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we'll get to that. We won't do that here, but we'll get to that. And and, and this right here, though, this is, a, this is a very hard note. This is when everyone's still on board with right. what they read from the book as being canon. Right. Right. And this this is very cool because this is a backdrop where they lay for you an entire story. So if you have that player, and I don't care if a guy plays a girl or whatever the situation, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is this mysticism, it's it's like playing an Oracle of Delphi, right? Mm-hmm. They're right. they're supposed to be virgin women right. who are receiving visions from gods. Right. That's 
that doesn't get changed because you felt that you wanted to play. You know what I mean? Uh, and yeah, so I mean, it, it kind of reminds me of like the black fury concept, right? Like, correct. like there, there are certain cults that don't allow others like of, unless you are of a specific background or a specific origin. And it's minor tied to a major with some great interplay of role play that can go there. Right. And why I even mention is because we have a lot, we have more than a few people who do ask that a lot and they're like going, well, What's your take on this? And I kind of want to play Lamia, you know, but I don't necessarily agree with the modern to now. Can you find this is the podcast, folks? The reason why is because this is the last true incarnation where they state without confusing you. And I use air quotes for that because I don't think it's confusing. They try to uh, they try to make it softer, right? To interject why other people can play it. Here's the last hard nose take of it, and here are the hard nose I agree with, right? Because it does that way it keeps unique and entertaining and terrifying, which I think was the point. Yeah, I agree with you. So, yeah. Um, so then moving right along, we get into the storyteller's toolkit and the storyteller's toolkit, I think is, um, it, this is going to be all of the, all the crunchy stuff, right? For lack of a better term, this is not necessarily how do I run a story? This is, man, I don't know what I'm going to do for this NPC, I don't know how I'm going to make this character. Um, what, are, what are mortals like in the dark ages? You know, what, what are the, what, how do I build them? What are the XP points? All of that stuff is right in here. I think that um, even if you're playing a different version of this game, um, this is great to give you some key indicators. You know, you can open up any page, you know, find like uh, a wise woman, a cutthroat, uh you know, an aged Castilian, like these are all things that you can find in here. Um, plus something that I find, uh, very beneficial because I don't really know much about the medieval world, let alone the dark medieval world, uh, the names and titles section that I found immensely helpful because honestly, I just don't know. I don't know, you know, off the top of my head. Um, there's also a couple <laughs> of pages. There's also a couple of pages in here where they give you like names names from that period of time from different regions. Um, you know, I'll, I'll admit, I think with the internet, that's probably less useful, but it's cool to have a quick reference guide to find that. And I'll tell you why it's not less useful. Um, people have a fear of using something not found in the book. <laughs> right. <laughs> they, they do. I'm right. one of them. Whenever right. I come across something and I'm like going, okay, I better, I better vet that source. Right. right. If, if it's online, if it's from a book, I'm like, I don't care about the, I'm, I'm using the book. It's in the book. It's cool. I'm good. It's like a breath of fresh air. Right. Plus, I think it's easier to read and go with it. The number yeah. one thing I hate about researching names on the internet is that I get a thousand and one baby names. Yeah. Every time. It's like, I don't give a damn what this child's name. There are people named Portia and Mercedes. I think we can move on. We're, we start naming <laughs> people after objects. Dude, where, I, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but like when you look up names on the internet or song lyrics invariably the websites take you to like these kind of shady like places with all kinds of weird ads and pop-ups. And you're like, what is, what is happening? I just, I'm just looking up names. Like how did those sites become <laughs> fodder for like shitty internet thievery? Like what is happening there? It's like, doesn't make sense to me. I agree. I agree. Um, the, uh, the other thing we'll find in here that I think a lot of people will be interested in going, uh huh. And store tells will go, no, don't say it. Um, there is a section in here on a personalized pass. Mm -hmm. What'd you think about that? Uh, I thought it was really cool. And honestly, 
it's something that I want to utilize in like a modern day sort of game because, you know, there's always a person who's on a path and like they get the path, but they just can't wrap their brain around one or two specific aspects of it. And having these rules, like I, I think it's cool. It's in this book. I'm a little ashamed. It's like buried in an obscure like uh, area where you can help people to personalize those paths. And I think the number one question for anybody playing a modern game who wants to get on a path or wants to change their path is like, how do I go about doing that? Um, and it, it's going to be more prevalent in dark ages because everyone's on a road. So having this here, I, I appreciate it. It's also a point here that you can see where V5 got it. Yeah. Right. This was here and how you build your own kind of hierarchy of sins there. Um, this was already in game. Right. This is again revealing that it's you, you didn't really get anything new in V5, but update a story and some additional rules uh, to tweak it and make it feel uh, that way or trim down, if you will. Um, that's not me crapping on V5 at all. It's just giving you an insight. There's a lot of people collecting and want to know the differences. And that's one of them. But pay attention here in this book to how it says the hierarchy of sins gets adjusted. It's not a replacement. Right? It's adjusted. So it tells you, gives you ideas of how you can. Uh, what would we consider a minor sin or a major sin right. or a basic sin? And they give you the numbers that everybody looks for to find, you know, kind of be a guideline. And always it's storyteller heavy because your storyteller has to agree that, okay, I see that you're on this road and you want to make these changes. Got to give a thumbs up so he knows what to call you out on later on and right. or remind you what you took. And it's all a necessary song and dance, but it's, it's one page. It's very easy, very easy to go and, and, and get them. Yep. Um, the last thing that I want to go over here um, really is the the major battles. Um, that's the last thing that I found here that I think would be a major help to anybody running a Dark Ages game. I don't know if something like this is included in V20, but I have to assume it is. Um, but for this, you basically gives you rules on how to run a massive battle. Um, very specific rules very kind of broken down and simple so that your players, when you're playing a dark ages game, inevitably that's going to happen. Battle is going to happen. Um, whether it's something that you overtly attempt to avoid or not, eventually stuff is going to happen where massive amounts of people and your vampires may be getting into combat. Um, and it gives you pretty easy step-by-step rules on how to go about doing that. Um, even insofar as like terrain and troop quality and all kinds of variables, which is a little out of the ordinary for a vampire game. Usually vampire games are pretty like straightforward, you know, figure it out as you go. But this I think is a, a really valuable addition to the book. I think it's a, it's a trimmed down version and it's a, it's decent that they do that. The other one you can kind of feel lost in it. Mm -hmm. This is easily accessible, right? I like the fact that the book is small for it. And if you have to run that combat for a storyteller, having used this book specifically for that, super easy yeah. uh, to go through and see what's going on. It does require a little prep work, but if you're running a mass combat, I'm assuming you've already done that. <laughs> right. the, the amazing thing about this, though, in this combat section is a lot of people can't get wrapped their head around what would be considered mm -hmm. uh, in combat, what to do. You just think it's a guy meeting on a field, there's some swords, maybe some jousting, call it a day. Right. Well, um. If, if they've been real smart in movies to show you what mass combat must have been like uh, back in ye old days. Um, but if in case you haven't seen those movies, they get into points here highlighting a couple themes. Number one, you forget about silk rolls. Right, right. Right, throw that out of the window. You're going to be taking some damage. And it's the chaos of combat, right? More importantly, 
They also take into consideration the devastation a frenzied canine, because you will frenzy at some point on this field as you're fighting, is going to lose it. Right. With all that blood and all that fighting and all that, it just brings, it's it's a realm for the beast. Yeah, and how, how and, couldn't it be? And it's awesome for it, right? But at the same time, it talks about complications, right? And that's the important part. When storytellers pay attention to that, it's not just about what someone can do. It's if you have somebody who's slain 10 people in one round and they're this super boss, supernatural killer, that's going to affect the morale of the people they're facing. That's also going to add to the infamy of the person who did it. Yeah. And what that means is you can go to a combat to defend. It, it should drop in the player's head. We're going to defend our territory because it's typical. We all anchored in and we're, we're this castle lords now. No one's taking this place. We're stopping the Mongols here. We're good. Okay. All right. We're with you. They came through. You stopped the army because they can't deal with your blatant supernatural power thrown over the field <laughs> right. left and right. You know, they were prepared to fight the devil in the flesh out right. at night, right? Number one, it was fought at night. Don't know if you know this, but if Torchlight's your only guide and you're a human, you're probably at a severe disadvantage in right. fighting at night. So not a good idea at all. No. So they mention in here, most of these big battles are vampiric skirmishes. Right. Right? So just understand that. If it is... And a supernatural army of night versus supernatural army of night. You're probably ending your game. <laughs> yeah, some bad stuff's happening. Right? <laughs> right. But even still, that aside, you can get in here what it would be like to deal with the morale complications, uh, what it is to counterattack, uh, what's going on. You know, does leadership matter? Of course it does. You know, all yeah. these tips and tricks to make it a livable, breathable thing uh, that you have going on with all the modifiers that you want to choke yourself with. Right. Tier two. Right. Yeah. Um, and basically that's, that's really about, I mean, there's, uh, some stuff about maturation in here and there's some, um, advanced storytelling techniques. Um, you know, they, they talk about taking a game from dark medieval to Gothic punk. And, um, one of the other things they talk about is, uh, you know, keeping a journal, um, for telling these long games in, in great scope. Uh, I think it's a great read for any storyteller who's looking for strategies, um, I think for people that are experienced, most of this stuff probably would go without saying, but you know, we don't want to assume you, you have the experience of, of years doing this game. So I, I think it's a great inclusion in the book, but I mean, that's, that's about it. That's, uh, that is the, the wrap. Um, the other thing, uh, and I don't do this too often, but I think it's important for specific books like this. If you're out looking for a copy of this book, be aware this book was originally sold with a storyteller screen. Um, so, uh, it's, it's not the greatest storyteller screen. It's cool looking. It is what it is. Um, but, uh, just be aware if you're a collector looking for this book out at a bookstore should come with a screen. So yeah, that's about it. All right. Um, the cool thing about this book that I know it's uh, it's about just a reminder, elder characters, they do address in here and how to make them. And it's kept to a, it's a real simplified form, but yeah. the stats are there. Stats are what people care about. And they, they added that in here with also a new thing called the thirst of Cain. Really won't get into it, but if you get that far in elder creation, we'll just say long and short. It's a list of different things that can occur to, you know, different obstacles that you might want to get a starting elder to add further depth and breadth of what's going on yeah. uh, with them and that thing. And that's the only thing I wanted to make sure we get in. Cool. Well, so that's Dark Ages Storyteller's Companion. Um, any final thoughts about the book? 
No, I have not one real bad thing to say no, about this book uh, other than joking a bit, but that's yeah. it. I mean, uh, I think uh, it's a pretty well put together book. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's like it's like any other edition. You know, it's basically all the stuff that couldn't cram in the end of the, the main book. Um, but I think it's well worth it. Um, that having been said, next week we are reviewing Dark Ages Europe. And I feel like you're in for a big surprise because for all the crunch this has, that book has, uh, are you, are you pre-reviewing? <laughs> nope. No nope. previewing uh, right now. No, nope, no, nope, no spoilers. Okay. <laughs> oh, unless you think I haven't read the Europe book. No, 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 no. Okay. No, you they, were talking to you as in me. Yeah, no, no. Who you're looking at right. you, but the you as in listener. You as, okay. you as a gotcha. listener. Right, 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 right. Um, I would not assume that Bob has not read a book that I definitely haven't read. Please. You can't assume you can start doing that now because I've modern <laughs> locked. Right, I'm right, awesome there. Right. Uh, Dark Ages first, sure, absolutely. We're in now a realm where I was like, yeah, we kind of played it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, oh, that that brings me to a great point. I don't know if I mentioned this in the last podcast. I'll do it again. So, um, Dark Ages, we have a couple of months worth of Dark Ages books to get through. Um, then we will review, of course, Dark Ages twenty, um, and you know, there's a small amount of those books. So we're talking just a couple of months, and then we're going to review. The Dark Ages Victorian Age books. There's only, I think, three of those. And then we're going to do Kindred of the East. Okay. Once we're done with that, then we're going to move on to Werewolf. And that will take many, many months, probably a couple of years, I would assume, with the amount of werewolf stuff there is out there. And we're going to have to drink for the Get Offenders Tribe book. I refuse not to. <laughs> a um, drunken that's, cast? A book, that's, a, that's a book required, not because it's bad but because one should drink mead when you refer to the Norse. <laughs> well, Fenris demands it. Um, you know, we don't know what's going to happen in the next couple of weeks, next couple of months with Gen Con, with, you know, events uh, out in the world, but we're going to continue to make these podcasts every week, just as we have, um, you know, keep reading these books, keep reviewing them, keep posting these podcasts for you. Um, you know, we hope at this point that Gen Con will be a thing, but you know, there's just no way for us to know. And if it's not, that sucks, but there's always next year and we hope all of you are well, and we hope you stay healthy and relatively happy in this, uh, this kind of really crappy climate. And let's not dwell on that. I would like to think our podcast is to the positive yep. and to, to those in the industry who are kind of in hiatus, stuck at home, not really having deadlines. And, you know, we heard a lot of what's going on with, uh, with certain companies on that, that we're used to, uh, talking about and having on. Uh, wish you the best. It's gonna be it's gonna be tough for that, but we're still here to keep what's new fresh in everybody's mind. Ask answer questions. Online gamer running. Um, obviously, reach out to us and contact us in the yeah. many many places that are always putting a podcast. And we're here for you guys. You should yeah. do it to have fun, especially if you're having a little extra time on your hands. Definitely. And uh, you know, as always, if you have any questions that you'd like us to answer on the podcast, uh, any requests or you know criticisms. Reach out to us, send us a message, Facebook, Discord, Twitter, etc. And, uh, you know, if they are pertinent questions, we'll answer them here on the podcast. We don't care. We love doing it. So, all right. Uh, until next week, my name is Nathan. And I am Bob. And we will talk to you later. 
Thank you for listening to 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade. If you like our podcast and you'd like to help support our show, consider backing us at patreon.com forward slash 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade. We offer reward tiers of additional Patreon-only podcasts, t-shirts, and personalized gaming experiences. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and go to our website, utilitymuffinlabs.com, for links to all of our social media, additional podcasts, and more. If you'd like to chat with us, submit a title for review, promote your gaming-related stuff, or anything else you can think of, email me at nathan at utilitymuffinlabs.com. Utility Muffin Labs, consistently rated adequate. 